America, the land of the free, home of the brave, and the site of WCW's great American bash. The American worker is the backbone of our country. Diamond Dallas Page has realized the American dream through his dedication and determination to his sport. His vigilance and hard work has thrust him into the spotlights, gaining the attention of the NWO and the Macho Man Randy Savage. He finds himself in a continuing struggle as another chapter unfolds at WCW's Great American Bash. underway on this Father's Day 1997. Again, and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, as we enter the month of May, what do you have for us from the news desk this week? Well, let's just talk about a little town called Canton, Georgia. It's just uh, middle Georgia right there beside Rome, just north of Atlanta. I happened to be there Friday night, chilling out. Cody Rhodes' last indie appearance show before AEW. Well, he wasn't booked for a match. No. He was just making an appearance. he was making his last appearance. He comes to the ring. He makes a huge announcement. Dustin Thomas, if anybody knows who Dustin Thomas is, are you aware of who Dustin Thomas is? No, I'm afraid Okay, so I heard this... I, I saw this man wrestle that night. He has... Uh, he had both of his legs amputated... So he's an amputee from the waist down and doesn't wear prosthetics and wrestles. And he is an amazing wrestler. I sat back with Matt and Joey Lynch, who in the six man were with him. Uh, you might remember Matt and Joey Lynch doing their uh, quick little two or three matches in WWE last year. Uh, sat back them talking with them, and they did the six man with Dustin Thomas. And this dude is amazing. To the point that Cody Rhodes comes out, and he is the second announcement for the Over the Budget Battle Royal. Wow. So, I mean, this this kid is going places. Apparently, he was trained by Joey Janela. The video of him in his first match went viral because it took place at an indie show, WrestleMania weekend. Kudos to him. 
But we go to the main event after Cody leaves, and the lights go out. What was the advertised main event? What were, what was who, who? Shannon Moore. Shannon Moore was other than Cody Rhodes. Shannon Moore was the big star coming there. Okay, so Shannon Moore's in the main event against. It was a fatal. It was a fatal four away. Oh, okay, just with uh, some some other guys, local guys, local guys. Okay, the lights go out, and I look to my right, and I see a figure in a hat run by me. Turns out, when the lights come on, holy shit, it's Chris Jericho. <laughs> That's really weird. What the fuck is Chris Jericho doing? Let, okay, specify this. Take a step back. This show is the first show in history in the state of Georgia to draw over a thousand people at an indie event. At an indie wrestling show, they are they hold the record now for drawing over a thousand people in the state of Georgia, which is huge. And so this is a grocery store transformed into a church slash once a month wrestling show inside the church. Oh wow. So let's specify that. Just to give you kind of the groundwork of this this building. But like I said, I look to my right. What the hell? It's Chris Jericho. He's beating the shit out of Dylan. You better know better known as Sunny Days, who was uh, announced for the over the budget battle royal as well. Good friend of mine. So he's beating on him. Lights go back out again. What the fuck's going on now? And I see this blur from the right side. Jumps the guardrail, slides in the ring. Lights come back on. Holy fuck. It is Kenny Omega, which Jericho, I can see. Kenny Omega, though, holy shit. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, yeah. It was insane. And that little building, the walls were literally shaking i sent you the youtube i actually posted the youtube video that a fan shot from ringside but then uh during editing the following day on saturday i gave i put on the uh the better quality piece as well uh but it it was unreal a historic thing that was he there to take out jericho i assume he attacked jericho beat the shit out of jericho jericho ran to the back Kenny's he's uh in the ring, he cuts a promo and he he makes he made it very clear. I don't know if you've watched the video, if you have, if you haven't, recommend you watching it. He makes it very clear. First things first, we are competing. It's it's head to head. We're going to war against WWE. Number 2, we're not bringing we're not building our own little training center like WWE. The people that have busted their ass on the independent circuit that have honed their craft, those are the ones that will be booked and will be signed to work for AEW. And so that was his two big big announcements on his end and that's massive, man. It's a, it's a legendary moment in indie wrestling. That's what I was telling you. Um, I compare it to Vince McMahon and John Cena going down to Florida Championship Wrestling for a quick little run-in type thing. Cena gets an attitude adjustment. I mean, uh, Vince gets an attitude adjustment, and they're gone, and the place went batshit crazy, and it's on YouTube. And, and I mean, hell, it's been talked about since 2002 it makes every single god this blows this out of the water man this will be talked about for the next 10 years at every indie show or at every hey you know did you hear about this 
Because I worked a show the very next night. Our show wasn't talk of the damn locker room. Hey, here's what we're going to do tonight, or here's what's going on, or here's... Fuck no, we're talking about what happened down the road. Whether you're in the business or you're not, that was groundbreaking. It really, truly was. And for it to be kept as quiet as it was, especially in this day and age, in the social media day and age, the guys in the back didn't know a damn thing about it. That's how hush, hush, they got there right before Cody went straight out. They left right when Kenny got right back out of the ring and went up the ramp. And so even flying in, you know what I'm saying? Flying in, they're going to get noticed at the Atlanta airport or something like that. How the fuck did nobody, nobody catch a picture with them? Nobody say, hey, they're in town. Hey, here's what's... No one knew about this. And like I said, this made the this made the scroll at the bottom on ESPN. That's huge for an indie show to make ESPN news. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It's the kind of surprises that are missing from uh, WWE house shows or live events where... Well, imagine There's nothing really special ever happens. Right. Imagine, imagine a little indie show. Okay, Mr. Hughes runs a wrestling show, little indie show in Atlanta. Imagine, I don't know, Kevin Owens running in and hitting a pop-up power bomb, flying back out. Like that's that's what was so cool about this is also, and it's like. It's kind of like Kenny said as well. You know, we can go anywhere we want to go, anytime we want to go, and get anybody we want to get. I mean, that that's cool because they're not bound by that that contract stipulation of, and also the fact that you would think Vince or WWE would try to do a little bit of exciting things because excitement in wrestling it's kind of shot in the foot. You know what I'm saying? You don't. But to go to a show, expect. You kind of expect what you're getting. But to get that blindside, what the fuck did I just witness? You don't get that anymore. A shock factor yeah. is just not there anymore. And it's great publicity for him, and it didn't cost him very much at all. Didn't cost a damn thing, except for him to walk in there. And they didn't really do much. They didn't get hurt. It was nothing reckless. They didn't go flying out of the ring or anything like that. Kenny runs in, Jericho comes at him, he hooks him, belly to back, hits his finisher, and that's it. Like, it was just, it was so, God, it was just, it It was a very memorable moment. It's more effective than running a 30-second ad for double or nothing. Right. Exactly. Because instead of people talking about double or nothing, like, this put eyes on double or nothing. Like, if they're willing to go to an indie show to get the shock value, if they're willing to go, you know, hell, they could pop up here in Chattanooga. It targets their exact market, which are the hardcore fan base, the people that go to small indie shows that are in churches and gymnasiums and places like that. that Yeah. The hardest of the hardcores that might not be so willing to part with their money to go to to pay for a pay-per-view from them but if they appear generating interest through that saying i i can relate to that because i go to those kind of shows and those guys are there so i want to support them and yeah 
maybe get some of those people, but a very effective marketing tactic. It was a publicity stunt. But that worked extremely, extremely well. Extremely well. I mean, going to the show that night, I was like, okay, I'm going to see Cody Rhodes talk, and that's that. Well, Cody Rhodes and his dog were advertised. Well, so. his dog went out. Dog got scared from the crowd, turned right back, I mean, right back around, and went right back in the curtain. Well, that's weird, because he walked out at all in. Yeah. He, he went all the way to the ring. Cody put him in the ring. He went, oh, shit tucked his tail between his legs, hopped out of the ring, went back up the aisle by himself, and went through the curtain. <laughs> it was the funniest shit. And nobody else, man. Those those indie stars, those guys in the locker room, they weren't expecting to be standing right there side by side with Jericho and, and Kenny Omega. For anybody trying to make a name for themselves, that's as inspirational in the business as it is crazy for the fans outside the business. It, that's what I, I guess that's the way I'm trying to put it, is it reverberated the entire wrestling world. Not just outer fan base, but inner core. It was cool, man. It was really it was really cool. What wasn't cool is that Double or Nothing, they tried to charge money for the press conference and weigh-ins. They tried to charge, I think, $40 on fight to uh, just watch the press conference and weigh-ins. But luckily, enough people complained, and so now they're giving that away for free. But... Uh, Conrad Thompson, who runs StarCast, uh, charges, I think, $69 for the entire event, but was selling this separately at first, and that's just, come on, guys. I mean... Conrad was trying to cash in. Well, I mean, he is. I mean, his (laughs) father-in-law is Ric Flair, so he comes from a a family that that knows how to... uh, pick the pockets of uh, those around the carnies uh, a long line of carnies he's yeah. involved with now and so but enough people said yeah we're not going to do that so they made those will be available for free but you still have to pay for the Starcast event is still a $69 stream and there's still no word yet definitely that double or nothing will be on fight but I expect it will be and I just I'm curious as to know what price point they're going to put on that because Impact oh. ran a show last weekend, and they charged $40, and that NWA show was only $25. So I just wonder where I they think, think they – what's their valuation of their own pay-per-view? I think they'll shoot right around the $50, $60 mark. See, I, I just think that's the wrong approach, especially the first time out of the gate. That's true. Now, I you're exa- you're right. You make an argument well, on the fact that why not give it to them for 25 bucks? Well, Brenton had the best idea, which was give the first one away for free because you have no TV product to base That's this true. on. That is very true. Cause we have no proof of concept. So get us hooked on this one and then maybe we'll and then we'll pay up for the next time around. Yeah. But they're not. They're definitely not going to do that. I just. I just hope that it's not a fifty or sixty dollar price tag. But I'm afraid that's the direction that they're going to go in. So you're thinking. You're, what are your price range? You're thinking what? Well, I would hope that they would charge like twenty five or thirty bucks. See, the problem that they run into is the WWE Network because every pay per view is included for that ten dollars for thirty days at a time. Yeah. And to me, that's the best value in all of pro wrestling and access to the all the archives that they post. Yeah, I mean, the archives is the only shit I watch. Just, well, yeah, that's why I, I keep 
Yeah. Which later this year they're going to rebrand the network in some way or relaunch the network. So that price increase that I've talked about for the last two years is either on its way or they're going to change the way they do the network. So we'll have to wait and see. But when that's the industry leader, when that's what they do, that's their business model, I think that really makes it tough on an AEW, a NWA, or an Impact to try to price their events. In AEW's case, I think they're going to take advantage of all the hype and they are going to price this thing uh, probably a little bit higher than they should. And I think that's going to drive some people, uh, like myself, I'm not saying I'll do it because it's illegal, uh, but I will probably seek an alternative way of watching it through some other sort of stream because instead of pricing it at $50, if you price it at $20, then all those people that are going to go look up free streams or bootleg streams... Instead of the trouble and the hassle, they'll, they'll just, just give you the 20. 20 bucks. Yeah. I just feel like it's going to be like $50 or whatever. And so if it's $50, what I would argue then is to make the replays cheaper. And so that the next day, or make the replays free like a week later or two weeks later where you can just watch it for free. Because like I was talking to you before we started recording, wrestling, you want to watch it live. You It's yeah. a communal experience. You want to watch it live and talk about it live as it's happening. Yeah. And so the replay value should be less than the original value. That's one complaint I had about those pay-per-views last weekend that were on Fight, the NWA show, and the Impact show, was that I expected the next day to open up the app and see, okay, NWA Crockett Cup, well, it's not $25 anymore because it's already happened. Maybe yeah. it's 15 maybe it's 10 maybe it's 5 whatever. No, it's still $25. And it's like, well, it's already happened. It's in the past. You like, know... You know the results right so that's my hope for their pricing of the event but we'll see memorial day weekend double or nothing as all elite wrestling we'll see what they can do right out of the gate hopefully they have a good production team like john moxley who uh, has a very good production team of some sort <laughs> holy shit does he ever that hype video is badass though yeah. i will give him his props that hype video for john moxley A.K.A. better known as Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose. Uh, that it's badass, bro. It really. Well, yeah, it reminded me of like a 2K video game commercial, yes. which I always think are very well produced. But you were mentioning how that that incident at the Canton House show got all the attention. Well, that John Moxley video did 1.8 million views. It did as many views. As SmackDown had viewers yeah. this week, so yeah, that's just nuts. And it was talked about. It was just up and down my feed on on Twitter, and just people talking about it. What does it mean? Oh, that's so, that's so well produced. The WWE must have done it. They must be rebranding him as John Moxley. Like, no, you can't. You can't just simply give him a new name. And and I I don't think no. It's, um, and it's like you know the video footage of the night before on Saturday that I posted. Uh, it it looks very well done. It looks like a very professional wrestling show. Uh, you have a couple of hand cameras and a hard camera and all that. And for the you know for the the situation that went down between uh, Jericho and and Kenny Omega, anybody with a laptop can really do some amazing shit. And so 
Yeah, just because something is of high quality doesn't mean that it right. has a major corporation behind it. Right. And what I was telling you before we went on the air, too, is that he's in his no-compete clause if his contract really did just expire, and so he can't wrestle anywhere. So instead of just sending out random tweets or being just totally dropping off the face of the earth, why not build your brand, continue to build your worth, build the hype, don't let it, don't let it die, and so... He can release these videos once or twice a week, these two-minute videos of the return of John Moxley, and by the time his non-competes up, he's the hottest free agent on the market. He was already going to be highly sought after, yeah. but certainly by putting these videos out, it's going to only improve oh, his stock. Oh, absolutely. Because Dean Ambrose, who left the WWE, isn't going to be as hot as... Oh, the new the new John Moxley who wraps his hand in barbed wire in videos. Yeah. So um, I think it's a great idea for any wrestler who finds themselves out of work and in some sort of a non-compete or any wrestler in general who's looking to promote themselves. Look to production crews. Look to college students, uh, indie filmmakers. Don't think that all you need to do is get some guy with a phone to tape you at an indie show cutting a promo or whatever. Think about your brand. Start building your brand, and then your brand will eventually sell itself. It's how people like Enzo got into pro wrestling. It wasn't because he had great ring skills. It was because he had other abilities. But if you're a great wrestler and you are showcased in a different capacity with great vignettes that are highly produced that look slick that that not some cheap photoshop shit you know like excellent work where we'll eventually hear about you and i might not ever have seen you wrestle yeah because you put out videos like that people are looking at it and thinking well damn he he's somebody he's somebody she's somebody because look at the you know look at the quality so i think it's a great idea and, and good for him and i don't know this could all be a swerve though if he actually does like maybe he doesn't want to work and he just wanted to have some fun with a production team but i do think it i do think he will return to to wrestling do you see john moxley being an aew signee or do you I, see him going to impact or ring of honor i think i don't see him going to, to new japan no i i don't think he'll be going to new japan not with renee working with wwe right so you'd be away from your wife for months on end yeah i i don't see that working out to me it all depends on their tv deal and the price tag that someone like him or cm punk would command you need a TV deal that justifies paying them that amount to come in. Even if you are Tony Khan and you have billions of dollars or whatever, to me, if you don't have a TV deal that's paying you money to justify these performers coming in there when you've already got... You have a core group of guys that already are executive VP, CEO, whatever their titles are. They're already at the top. The only reason I would sign CM Punk or John Moxley is if I already had a TV deal that was paying me enough money to justify paying them a lot of money. Yeah. Because, because if I'm not getting money for my TV deal, then I'm just losing money on their salary. Yeah. That's... It's as simple as that. You can't run enough pay-per-views to justify paying them what they're going to want. Well, and they don't need to run. They don't need to try to run a pay-per-view a month. They don't need to try right. to come. I mean, competing with WWE the way in which 
Omega said they were going to do doesn't mean necessarily a pay-per-view one once a month. It means more or less a five pay-per-views a year. The kind of money that Jonathan Good, John Moxley, Dean Ambrose that he walked away from was a seven-figure deal. Now that's a WWE deal where you're constantly yeah. on the road, you're constantly working house shows, you got TV all the time, you got a pay-per-view every month. The schedule is killer, so maybe he will say, "Okay, it's less money, but I only have to work this many dates." Maybe that's something that does interest him. But to me, I'd still want comparable money and yeah. with less work. That's in any situation. I'm, I want more money and less work always. So yeah. I I think that's what's gonna that's what it's gonna take. And I don't think a Ring of Honor or a Impact Wrestling have the type of money to go after a Dean Ambrose. You know who else's contract is expiring or has expired? I uh, know. Coming up later this July, Rhino's contract is expiring from WWE. And he is taking indie bookings, which means to tell me that he is not re-signing. And, I mean, I would shudder to think that WWE would have not at least offered him. I'm surprised they didn't offer him an agent role, but they have... Offer him something. I don't... That backstage is so crowded, though, at the moment that there's so many people already in those roles. And there's so many people already in Orlando and developmental. And there's so many people in the U.K., I mean, their roster, not just of actual wrestling talent, but off-screen talent is so bloated at the moment where, I mean, you have guys like Dean Malenko who just walked away. I mean, so there is a spot there in theory, but when you've got declining TV ratings and stuff, I don't think that's when you say, we need more people in the back. We need another cook in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they offered him a new contract of some sorts. I don't see it with him because really? uh, he hasn't been featured on TV in quite some time. He's they, a solid house house show worker, though. Much like how they let Ty Dillinger go and Hideo Itami go, I think Rhino's riding not exactly in line with those guys, but a guy that they don't see as being a highly sought-after free agent in the free agent market. And if you're not highly sought-after, then they'll go ahead and cut you. And if you're Luke Harper and they think you are highly sought-after, then they'll do what they can to keep you. Oh, man. So... Dude, he would be up there with John Moxley. I really believe because he his in ring work alone is amazing. Well, exactly, but that's why they're keeping him. Yeah. So and extending his contract due to end and extending his contract because of his injury, which I still think will eventually get handled in court. So we'll see about that. Well, we have a couple more leaving. Brock Lesnar. It is official. Dana White made it very official. Brock Lesnar is retiring from MMA for good i wouldn't say that he's officially done for good there's still a very small chance that he could actually return because he has been in the usada testing pool uh for quite some time and so he does have the ability to return if the price was right but at the moment dana white said that brock said consider me retired i don't want the fight with Daniel Cormier and so they're going to have Stipe Miocic in August and that's not the fight that Daniel Cormier wanted either they have to have a heavyweight title fight eventually in the UFC and uh, DC wants to retire and he said he'd do one more fight and so this is what they can offer him 
at the moment because you I think don't, it's because Brock knew he was going to get his ass beat. I think it's because Brock didn't want to go through another camp, and how difficult uh, those fighting training camps are for MMA fighters. Even if he was going to get beat, he was going to get a massive payday. Yeah, but this WWE schedule. Like I said earlier, get paid more and work less. This is the greatest contract situation of any performer other than The Undertaker. And, I mean, that's only been in the last decade and a half The Undertaker's had this schedule where you just pop in and out and and get paid or whatever. But Brock's deal's been even better than that. And not only do you get to pop in and out when you want to, you are champion when you're not there. And so I think work less, get paid more. He gets more time at home. He doesn't have to worry about training or doing any of that. He can go walk through Canada shooting deer or whatever he does in his <laughs> spare time. And uh, he just doesn't want to bother with the all the work that comes with fighting. Now, if Dana White goes to him with enough money, I think that he can easily be talked out of this because... Money talks, Patrick. It talks people out of retirement, like Bill Goldberg, uh, to come fight in Saudi Arabia. Yes, yes. Where we thought we saw his last match. Well, he came on Raw the next night and basically gave a retirement speech after WrestleMania 33. So it wasn't just conjecture. It was pretty much said. I mean, he said never say never, of course. And, I mean, they put him in the Hall of Fame the following year, but Saudi Arabia money talks, and uh, Goldberg listens, uh, just like Shawn Michaels listened last year and broke his retirement, and Goldberg's going to do his as well. So, Do you believe Mick Foley will as well? Because Mick Foley said he might if the money was right. I do not see Mick Foley in a wrestling ring, not after all the surgeries he's had on his legs, and the shape that he's in is the best God, he's he ever is in, been in. He's in great shape, that's true. And uh, to risk that for a payday when he's he's set. He, he's a made man. He has plenty of money. He makes money off of appearances. He's going to be at StarCast, I think. He's one of the people there. He do, he does all Columbia those... ring gold later this uh this coming month <laughs> yeah he does he does his one man show he does book signings he did yeah. like he's a made man he he doesn't need to get he's done enough i think that he would appear at one of those shows in a non-wrestling capacity because it seems like the saudi arabian government wants all the legends that are still alive that can still move around to show up, and they don't really care if they wrestle or not. That's why Hogan was there. I heard a rumor originally when they did the Greatest Royal Rumble and stuff, they asked the WWE for wrestlers that were deceased, that they had no yes. idea were deceased. Macho Man Randy Savage, I know for a fact, was like, one They that wanted was... Ultimate Warrior and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So they just want names. Yeah. And they, the... they want the people that they remember back in the day because I don't think that they truly got WWE talent now as much as they got watching back in the day. The guy who's the pseudo-ruler of the country is about our age, uh, MBS. I, I don't actually know his full name at the moment. I can't remember. It's like Mohammed bin Salam. He was the guy that ordered pretty much ordered the killing of that journalist, but he's the de facto ruler of this country. He's not the official leader but he's pretty much running the show. And so, and he was really largely behind this Vision 2030 
plan that included bringing the WWE over for 10 years for two shows a year. And so I think he's just thinking of guys that he remembers when he was a kid yeah. watching the product. And so I think that's where it's coming from is you have a guy, a younger guy that's in basically running the show saying, get me that guy. They're saying, oh, he's he's not here anymore. So, oh, well, just get me whoever. Who, who's next? Who? who yeah, who's next? Exactly. Goldberg's phrase. Like, it wouldn't shock me, honestly, if WWE, if Saudi Arabia went to the WWE and said, we want Scott Steiner. It would not surprise me if the WWE said, we'll put our differences aside for one night and let Scott Steiner come over here That's true. and do something. That's because true. whatever makes them happy, because money talks and they're going to pay us a boatload of money. Sure, we'll do business with Scott Steiner for one night. I was going to say, I feel like they could probably even get The Rock or Austin. If they, if they don't ha- think they could get The Rock because of the public relations part of That's it, true. Probably get Austin with almost certainty. I'd say they could get get Austin. Yeah, if the timing was right or whatever, if the yeah. money was right. The Rock, I think, is the one. That's the golden goose. They'll never be able. I don't. You don't they, think they'll ever? I don't think they can get him over there. I just hope the rumors that I've been reading about Goldberg's involvement in that show are not true and that they are going back to the Goldberg and Brock Lesnar well and that they want to start a program with them heading into SummerSlam where Brock eventually gets the belt off Kofi Kingston. And See, then, I, I heard it was Goldberg and Kofi and Goldberg's going to beat him for the belt and Goldberg's going to hold the cha- hold the title. Brock's going to come back and won't retribution and he got his revenge that story's over so true. we'll see we'll see what happens yeah. with mr goldberg uh on another leaving uh dustin rhodes aka gold dust uh dustin rhodes has started up his new website and it is dustinrhodes.com obviously um but and the the leaving this makes me think that he kind of left on bad terms. His new T-shirt is the old old eighties WWF logo with uh, a very well sketched Vince McMahon on his back in a ring and a gold dust looking panda dropping an elbow off the top rope onto Vince. And so people are taking it as it's kind of a shot at Vince. Now, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's uh it's actually a very cool looking shirt. I just don't really understand the shirt. I mean I I, I know what he's referencing is that the World Wildlife Fund made Vince change the name of the company to WWE, right? So is he saying that? Is he saying is he that sa- AWE or all Elite Wrestling is going to be the next thing because the only thing that has ever defeated Vince McMahon was the World Wildlife Fund, and now Gold Dust Dustin is a part of something is a part of the next thing that's going to beat him. I guess maybe I don't know. I have no idea. It's bizarre. It's twenty five ninety nine, by the it way. Is, it's very bizarre. It's a cool looking shirt. But I just don't get it. But it's just the image. You have zero words. You have zero 
explanation on the back. You have none of that shit. It's just an image on a shirt. Also, it it sort of bothers me that I know they did it because for visual purposes, but it's a ring, and two sides of the ring do not exist. Well, the ring ropes. The ropes are off, yeah. I know. Well, we got to get a clear shot of Vince on his back. I know, but I just... (laughs) It's a very strange shirt. I don't know why I expected anything different from the guy that brought us seven. So, um, seven, not seven dust, but actual seven. And black rain. Black rain, yes, yes, black rain. You know, uh, who else is moving down on the ladder? Tyler Breeze got bumped back down to NXT. This is a permanent bump. Well, I think he'll eventually work his way back up. He has just been lost for a long time since Fondango's injury. They don't they don't know what to do with this guy. They've never known what to do with this guy. No, after the hype of him in uh, Liger, after that, they thought, oh, well, you know, it was a great match, yada, 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 here in a week or two, and they bring him on the main roster. But, I mean, he a was... Well, like any other NXT call-up, really, it's like... He got there, but what the fuck do we do with him now? And, yeah, he was lost, and he got thrown in the tag team with uh, Johnny Curtis, Fondango, and they were the fashion police, and things were going well, and then Fondango got injured, and now he was just shit out of luck. Yeah, that's the only good thing about those tag teams that I that I dislike that are not actual teams like Sheamus and Cesaro is because they can be easily broken up because they were single stars beforehand, like Rock and Foley and and I mean like that. Tyler yeah. Breeze had his own character before that, but they were the fashion police for so long. They're like right, they're a package. You're a package deal. deal. Yeah, and so and just like when the guys from the revival when they got hurt, the, they weren't. On TV. And just like Authors of Pain, one of them's hurt. The other guy, just not on TV because they're a package deal. But when you have those thrown together tag teams, okay, you're a single star now. Just like the Hardy Boys who had to drop the SmackDown titles this week due to told Jeff's injury. Yeah, And so, but Matt Hardy, he's been a single star before, fortunately. I know that they are synonymous with each other, obviously. But, so yeah, he can just go do his own thing now. So... He might appear in the Firefly Funhouse is probably my guess for where Matt goes. You think so? I I don't know, really. We're really glad that you're our friend. And this is a friendship that'll never, ever end. Hello, and welcome to the Firefly Funhouse. Now today is going to be a really, really fun day. Hey! What's going on over there? Uh. Hey, Mercy the Buzzard. What you got there? Oh, it's nothing. Come on, Hermano. We're all friends here. Show us what's in the box. Back off, man. I said it was nothing. What are you trying to hide, Mercy? None of your damn business, Abby. Now go to sleep, you old hag. Hey, 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 all right, all right, all right. Let's just everybody calm down. Let's just see what all the fuss is about, Mercy. Let me see right... Oh, okay, yeah. Yowie, wow, 
Is this rambling rabbit? What, what have you done? I despise rambling rabbit. He was trying to force me to adhere to his bohemian worldview and ideologies. You know what I mean? Oh, mercy. It's perfectly okay to express yourself any way you want to. Whether it's painting a painting, flying a kite, or ripping rambling rabbit to shred. The point is, you can be forgiven, no matter what, just like I was. In fact, I think you should be rewarded. Are you saying what I think you're saying? I think I am. Picnic time! <laughs> Hey, everybody. <laughs> and remember, my fireflies, I will always light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Bye! <laughs>well, Lars Sullivan pretty much broke him, so maybe they can actually just call him broken, and he has to be rewoken, and he needs to be rewoken by Bray Wyatt's Funhouse, who brings him positivity and energy and life. I I still don't fucking get that. Like, I don't get Bray Wyatt's Funhouse. Well, you? the Firefly Funhouse had its second segment. I included it in last week's podcast where... He, he painted, he was Bob Ross, he painted Randy Orton burning down the Wyatt compound, and then he spelled out the word of the day, sociopath, and then it was time to say goodbye. Um, still know where this is going, I'm still intrigued by it. Uh, I'm apparently one of the few, because uh, Raw and SmackDown did terrible ratings, historical oh, lows for both historic it's been a story since we started this podcast of the declining ratings and occasionally they would fluctuate and go up a little bit but for the most part it's been a downward slope yeah it's been a solid drop and this past week was the worst in a very long time for a non-holiday edition of either show and don't know what they're going to do to correct it i kind of got upset with people on twitter saying oh wrestling fans talking about ratings why do they matter well they matter because guess what advertising pays the bills for pro wrestling and if you don't have advertisers you don't have money and if you don't have money you don't have a wrestling and it, it it's a trickle down effect because they are the industry leader and whether you're a fan of theirs or not whether you like new japan or you're into whatever's down the street or whatever it's a trickle down effect where if the leader is faltering then it's a domino effect and everybody when AEW goes to Turner for a TV deal they're going to they're going to look and they're yeah. going to say well WWE's having issues so obviously pro wrestling on TV as a whole just didn't cutting it right now it's just not hot it's not hot so we don't want you or we want you but we're going to offer you way less than yeah. what you could be getting the WWE's saving grace though is that those contracts are already signed so they don't really care that much about these ratings numbers because Fox and Comcast have already upped for five years starting in October. Now, I don't know terms of those deals and if they have opt-out clauses 
or in, in Fox's case, if they can get moved to FS1, if they can get put, they might be get shoved to one in the morning. If if that's not, I don't know the language of the deals with either of them. Right. But paying over two hundred million dollars a year for two million viewers is insanity. Yeah. And those television companies, those media companies that gave them those contracts, have to be. Live it. I don't know what they're going to do to correct this. They're going to start this week because they're going to have Roman Reigns, who just got drafted to SmackDown. Oh, he's going to be on Raw this week, Patrick. <laughs> that's that's the first thing we're going to do. But out, outside of that, I don't know what they're going to do to turn it around because they are so set in their ways and they, they're already paid. It's sort of like WCW with the guaranteed contracts back in the deal. Why, why didn't Hogan show up? Because he didn't have to because he was already paid. Why did the NWO guys just get away with whatever? Because they were already paid. Yeah. So why does WWE put on a shit product? Because they already got paid. Yeah. So the deal's done. But That's the downside to a guaranteed contract nowadays. Exactly. But ratings are important, and it's an important aspect of wrestling talk overall. And I don't think it's wrong for wrestling fans to mention the ratings. Because that's like saying you're a fan of a sports team, and oh, I don't care where they're at in the standings. I like them. I don't care. Oh, really? You don't, you, you're a fan of the Braves? They've lost 100 games this year. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't care. I just like them. What? What are you? What? I'm, a, I'm a diehard Tennessee Vols fan. We suck. We have sucked. We have not been good since 98. The Vols have won an SEC title after 98, so they they weren't terrible. No, but we like the WWE ratings. We're a downward slide. We get a couple of trickles up, but mostly we're down. And so... But you can't be a blind devotee and not acknowledge that we have problems. and Oh, God, yeah. Vols I mean, have a lot of problems, but back to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, so I just think it's silly to say, oh, don't talk about ratings. Don't, don't talk about that. Ratings affect the product. Yeah. And wins and losses affect the product of, of a football team because then you get new coaches, players transfer. All of this is... It's Money's all, lost. It's all relative, yeah. Money is the great mover of many things. People it, aren't buying tickets if you're not winning. Exactly. There were my former general manager at one of my jobs. He had Vols season tickets. And back in the day, that meant you go to all the games. Yeah. But they would gotten so bad where he was just giving away. I mean, even to the shitty games, even to those uh, when they play the lower division schools and pay him to come up there and play. Diehards, you know, they would go to those. Eventually, they said he said no, and he would just give them away. It's not even worth the gas. Yeah. So... I just I think it's silly to say, oh, you can't talk about ratings if you're a wrestling fan. Well, ratings are going to get better because Leo Rush, Lashley, Lashley, is no longer on the main roster. Don't think that had a lot to do with the ratings going down, but yeah, he's having some sort of issues with the company. I'm not really sure of what they... There's been numerous stories about him. He's the most talked about wrestler who's not ever featured on a program or wrestling uh where his he's contract in- status he's in trouble in the locker room he's got beef with another wrestler he's upset about his merch money he wants to do more talking he wants i he's got there's so many stories about him right now i don't know what to believe and what not to believe other than he's not on tv he's and so he's i'm sure he he probably most of that is believable 
Well, yeah. I mean, there's probably an element of truth to all of it, but yeah. I don't know what to even start with with him other than that, yeah, he's been taken off the main roster. And that to me, that hurts Bobby Lashley, who needs someone to speak for him because as big and muscular and as intimidating as intimidating as Bobby Lashley may appear, which even then he still kind of looks like a giant baby to me. I don't know. Yeah. He just he looks doesn't look mean. Like no. Brock Lesnar looks like a scary individual. Bobby Lashley, even though he's chiseled or whatever, he doesn't look that scary. He needs a mouthpiece. So it really hurts Bobby Lashley more than anybody. But I don't know what they're going to do with Bobby Lashley or any of those heels on, on Raw. Uh, I mean, it's the triangle of, of death on Raw with Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley. They have nothing going on for the three of them. And Leo Rush was at least something. And uh, he's gone now. Yeah. For the time being, so. Willie Mack, you called it, brother. Willie Mack was signed this week to Impact Wrestling. Yeah, I speculated that's why he must have dropped that North American title at the Crockett Cup because it made no sense to me to give it to Colt Cabana, who is a Ring of Honor talent. And it just reiterates my point about the NWA. It's like, you can't even sign Willie Mack? It's like you have an exclusive talent roster of one nick aldis yeah and then the rest of all this is just branding and we'll just borrow stars and we'll just co-brand stuff or i don't know if they're eventually just going to get integrated into ring of honor or what the deal is but to me it's like if you want to start a wrestling promotion i mean billy corgan was involved with tna impact for years he understands how wrestling promotions work he understands the he was involved with uh on the uh, downward sad days of ECW, though. The arms race to get talent is so competitive right now between even some, even an organization like MLW has like Teddy Hart and, and Davey Boy Smith Jr. and Brian Pillman Jr. They have them as exclusive talent. And you can't even get Willie Mack? You can't even get a guy you gave a belt to to sign a contract? Against Impact, who has zero dollars to their name, <laughs> like who's bouncing checks probably to wrestlers, who's on the Pursuit Channel that no one has. I mean, or on Twitch, and th- that's ridiculous that yeah. that they couldn't find the money to sign him, and that just tells me that th- he doesn't want this to be a wrestling organization. That's all this tells me is that they just don't. They're he just not going to sign anybody. He doesn't want to make a solid. He doesn't want to build a roster. Solid roster, yeah. He just wants to borrow. He wants to be pals with all these other wrestling organizations, and he wants to run events and just borrow talent and just have, just be chummy with all the other wrestling promoters and make a few bucks off these NWA shows, and that's it. And if that's what he wants to do, that's fine, but then why bring in those tag titles if you're... If, I just... To me, I... I I'm just not a big fan of, of that idea of just co-branding everything and just borrowing talent because how do you ever convince me that anyone's going to win the title belt from Nick Aldis when they work for a different company? Yeah. Or if they do, guess who's getting the rematch? 
Nick Aldis or whoever the other three talents he has. You know, it's yeah. like kind of disappointing. Good for Willie Mack to go out there and get paid. He really impressed me at NWA 70. I thought he was one of the better performers. And uh, yeah, just a, a swing and a miss from the NWA. And um, Impact stars can do indie shows as well. They can do non-televised ones. Yeah, that that's their thing. They were they used to be allowed to do televised ones, and yeah. then that got that was a big news story around January. I think we reported on that when yeah. they when they made a big fuss about that. Lillian Garcia, Lillian Garcia has a new job. She is the announcer for Pro Fighters League. She's a ring announcer. That's what she did before. <laughs> that's what she left to pursue a singing career and then came back to and then had to unfortunately leave again to take care of her father who was ill but still was making sporadic appearances for the wwe Uh, i've never been a fan of lillian's work Uh, i've said it many times on this podcast when she replaced uh tony chimmel as the voice of raw i was heartbroken because I really liked Tony Chimmel. I don't think her singing was ever that good. Uh, but a lot of people like her. She seems like a nice lady. It's just to me, you have to have more than that to be a great announcer. And she never had it for me. Like at Beth Phoenix Hall of Fame speech, when they brought out Edge, they brought out Tony Chimmel to do his introduction because it's so memorable. It's catchy. It's it sticks with you. It's like Howard Finkel, all the great... He's a great announcer. Yeah. A great ring announcer. Mean Gene. These guys with these these very deep voices and then great introduction. Justin Roberts introducing CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011. Those are great moments. Like, Lily never had a single moment that I can recall that was great. Singing the national anthem after 9-11 is her biggest claim to fame in the WWE and I'm not saying that there can't be great female announcers, but you got to have just something. Something has to stand out. I, I do agree. She's got that. more botches than she does have memorable matches where she screws up the name of the belt, screws up the name of the performer. Screws up where they're from or weight or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. I just, uh, but good for her for landing another job. <laughs> so this news broke just a couple hours ago. WWE 2K20. The news, uh, the it's just everything about this game has already been leaked. Uh, well, some things you can always assume about the game. It usually does come out in October. So this October. is from thegamer.com. 2K20 will be released in October 2019. Becky Lynch will be the game's cover star. GM mode is returning. China is going to be a downloadable character. DX is a big part of the Collector's Edition. The Collector's and Deluxe versions will be released early on October 1st, and the Standard Edition will be out on October 5th. So there you go. The official announcement of the cover athlete will drop on June 24th. The China trailer will drop on July 29th, and the DX content will be revealed in a trailer on August 1st. And there you go. This year's big uh, collector's edition is DX. So um, outside of China, wrestlers that have pretty much appeared in the games that they have just not appeared in the last couple. Like, I think the Outlaws were in 2K17, I think. Are we going to get the Outlaws? Oh, I, I think, yes. I'm, I'm sure. Even that- though Billy's not with the company. Billy's working 
I'm sure that they will make an exception so that Billy Gunn can be a playable character in the game. Okay. Since he's friends with the right people. Um, <laughs> not too psyched about a, a DX version of the game. I don't want to... I don't want to go through a showcase mode where we drive a Jeep to the WCW arena and blow it up or whatever. Can we get behind the wheel and actually drive the Jeep, though? That would be cool. Don't give them any ideas. I, they had a WWE crush hour back in the day. I don't want any more WWE driving games. That's... Well, what was the Which one of the SmackDown could you get on Undertaker's bike and ride? Pretty sure it was Here Comes the Pain, I think. Okay. So they have touched on the the driving. Yeah, you could get on the motorcycle and drag a dude around. Yeah. But then you would just drop him. Yeah. And then you would get off. Yeah. Just it, randomly. Yeah, that was uh, great stuff. And you could, like, drive forklifts, too, and not do anything, really, with them. Yes. You can't run people over or anything. Yeah. So, yes. Um, so pre-order now. I'm pretty, I'm pre- well, I don't know if they're taking pre-orders already. Maybe they'll get your pre-order right this year. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, uh, I'm betting no. As for the... <laughs> I have that luck, man. I really have that damn luck. <laughs> but uh, what are your thoughts on you don't want a DX, but do you th- we're going to get like an NWO DX thing? Or are we going to get a Monday Night Wars deal? What are we, we hitting on the Attitude Era again? Or how are we doing this? What do you think? Or you think well, my idea, which they would never do, is uh, a collector's edition totally based on the new gen era, and you have all those jobbers that we mentioned, like Bastion Booger and uh, Duke the Dumpster, and just and Doink, and just all those great jobbers from the the new gen era, and even just random like Aldo Montoya, Quang. Quang, Quang, yeah, Quang, Quang, and um, all those guys. That's the edition I want, where it's just neon, like Crush and his neon shit, and just. Um, I'm with you on that. You're selling me on this game. Yeah, and I, it's going to be impossible for them to get the. I mean, Mabel. Oh man, men on a mission. All of them. Oh man! Well, they have Lex Luger in the game, but like the Lex, oh the Lex Express edition—that's yeah. the collector's edition I want, and it comes in a little Lex Express bus. Oh man, a little tin bus. Yeah, that's the new gen <laughs> shit. I I want. That's what I want. The the new gen era, basically. That's. I'm with you on that, actually. Just something that hasn't been done in some way already, because I feel like everything else is pretty much. That's the only I, thing they haven't really hinted on. And we haven't got a full Monday Night Wars either. I want a Monday Night Wars game. Well, I kind of feel like like the Austin version, and I, I, f- I just feel like they've hit on that so much. Or a WCW version. Yeah, you want Glacier and Disco Inferno and... Oh, man, Disco. And the Gambler. The Gambler from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yeah, so that's need- what I... I just want something that they haven't done a lot of. That's yeah. my only request, but we're doing DX, so never mind. New Gen. All right, New Gen. Marty Janetti New- edition. Ooh, I do like Marty. 
Alright, so this was my pick. Yes, we're continuing down the Macho Man DDP PWI Feud of the Year for 1997. And so we went to round number two at the Great American Bash. We skipped over Slambury where they didn't have a match. and uh, Hogan wasn't there either. <laughs> Just... And nothing really of note happened there. Only one thing from Slambury was even brought up on this show, and it was it was between Conan and Hugh Morris was the one mention of Slambury that even occurred on this show. So that lets you know what you missed at the last pay-per-view. But this is June 15th, 1997, Father's Day. Give him a nice, warm hug on Father's Day. It's Great American Bash in front of in front of 9,613 people in Illinois, in Moline, Illinois. The Quad Cities, as it's called. So, not quite Chicago, but uh, whereabouts? 9,000 people. Yes. Well, it, it did look filled up. I don't know if they had to uh, paper the event and give out some tickets. Free but, tickets? Yeah, but it did look pretty full. So, I'll give them credit for that. The opening rolls, and we're told that Diamond Dallas Page has achieved the American dream. And then they show... Kimberly Page. So the American Dream is marrying a Playboy model, Patrick. That's the American Dream. That is the American Dream. (laughs) And hard work has gotten him not a Playboy playmate, but a rematch with the macho man Randy Savage for all his hard work. We go to the announcers. It's Dusty, Tony, and Bobby. They promote co-main events, a.k.a. no main event. A tag team title match with Rowdy Roddy Piper and Flirting on the Outsiders, and then, of course... DDP and Macho Man in a Falls Count Anywhere match. But first up, Dusty, get up and leave, pal. It's a cruiserweight matchup. Psychosis is out with Sonny Ono in a respect match. What is a respect match? I have no idea. It's a normal match because they had no step here. It was just to earn the respect of each other, I guess. So Sonny Ono turned on Ultimo Dragon, as I predicted... At the last pay-per-view, he he did that at Slambury, so they did mention two things here uh, that happened at Slambury. Mike Tanay, of course, joins the commentary team because he's the only one that knows anything about these guys. Psychosis immediately bails outside to regroup with Sonny Ono after a dragon arm arm drag. They repeat the spot with Psychosis regrouping once again with Sonny Ono. Psychosis has some Max Moon-looking gear on here. This... I want Max Moon in a WWE game. That would be awesome. Dragon gets decked while trying a leapfrog, and Psychosis just poses, because he's the heel. Dragon hits his headstand pose, kick in the corner, and then some stiff kicks that send Psychosis bailing yet again. Dragon hits a tilt-a-whirl crucifix backbreaker to Psychosis when they get back in the ring. Dragon hits a jawbreaker to Psychosis over the ropes and misses a plancha. Ono gets in his karate behind the ref's back on the dragon. Psychosis hits a guillotine leg drop with dragon draped across the middle rope. He tries a cradle but gets a near fall. Ono gets some more kicks in. Dragon goes for a vertical suplex and Psychosis saves him with an axe handle. So, saving his manager, Sonny Ono. Dragon lands some kicks and a back handspring elbow. And Psychosis ends up on the outside again. Dragon hits the Acai Moonsault, a move named after him to psychosis 
Dragon nails a brain buster to Psychosis for a two count. A tombstone for a two count. Psychosis answers with a spinning heel kick from the turnbuckle that sends Dragon out of the ring. And then Psychosis lands a suicide dive near the ring post, which was quite scary. They don't usually try suicide dives near the post, but he, he did here. Dragon responds with a Hurricane Rana, but Psychosis reverses the pinfall for a near fall of his own. Psychosis tries a moonsault. Dragon drop kicks him in the knees midair, which was pretty cool. Dragon hits his Frankensteiner, then a tiger suplex, but Dragon gets distracted and he eats a missile drop kick. Ono oh accidentally kicks Psychosis. Oh no, he locks in the Dragon Sleeper. And Psychosis taps out as Mike Tanay has to explain to Tony and Bobby what tapping out means as tapping out still relatively new to pro wrestling here in 1997. So the Dragon Sleeper gets the win and Ultimate or Ultimo Dragon is your winner in this Cruiserweight opener. Ono escapes with Psychosis though before Dragon can attack him for his celebration. So I don't know if any respect was earned, but I do know that Psychosis continually lets me down when we review his matches. Uh, at One Night Stand, I thought he had a terrible match where he does too much ground game for, yeah. a, for a luchador. And he did it here, too, where uh, the last show that we watched, Mysterio is a much better opponent for Ultimo Dragon. And I get that Psychosis is working as a heel, but just because you're working as a heel doesn't mean you have to be boring. And I just feel like psychosis is boring. Like, when he hits his high spots, they're really good. It just takes so long to get to them. And I'm just used to cruiserweights hitting high spot after high spot after high spot. I mean, you have Ultimo Dragon going from Brain Buster into Tombstone. And then you have psychosis going from Chinlock to um, Armbar. Yeah. So I just wish that psychosis would speed his game up a little bit because out of all the great cruiserweights that came from wcw i don't think outside of his look i don't think anyone says oh well, he was he was a really great great get so i like psychosis um he has a i'm with you his ground game he doesn't fly enough for me for a cruiserweight that bothers me that has always bothered me even as a kid i couldn't understand it it's the same way with Laparca. However, for me, a six foot plus luchador like Laparca, I loved. Well, and he's also fat too, so I excuse that more than I do with Psychosis. Psychosis is tall, which probably inhibits a lot of his um, high flyingness. But like Laparca being fat, like I understood, like okay, he's not going to do a lot of flying, and yeah. he brings a chair to the ring. He's a comedy character. Yeah, like I understood that, and. Without him bringing the chair to the ring, if you presented him like, oh, he's Rey Mysterio Jr., then I would be disappointed. But when he comes out playing the chair as a guitar, I know what to expect. Yeah. And I see that he's fat. So um, I know what I'm getting with L.A. Park or La Parca. But Psychosis is a guy that I look at and I'm like, man, he should be really awesome. And I just often get let down when I have to yeah. watch a Psychosis match. You would think like he'd be... He would be like Hoovy. Yeah, exactly. Hoovy could do fast pace, but didn't have to fly unless he actually, you know. He only flew a couple of times, and that was him going up for the 450. And, uh, but I love Ultimo Dragon. I, as a kid, 
as a teenager even now i just think that he's a solid worker i love the gimmick i love the style i just love ultimo dragon yeah he was really good in this match um it's just that he was up against psychosis so yeah he had his work <laughs> cut out for him oh man our next match yeah, so before is, our next match, Benoit is on WCWWrestling.com, and he's trying to answer the reporter's question, but they mic'd the keyboard for some reason, so you hear more keyboard than you do what Chris Benoit has to say. Oh, so you're not going to like this match because the Steiners are in No, it. I'm not going to like this match because this shit started off stiff as hell. Harlem Heat and Sister Sherry are out next. They're taking on the Steiners. It's a number one contenders match for the tag titles. They never can seem to get in title matches, but the Steiners are always, and Harlem Heat are always in line for one. They are. They never can get it. Just like Lex Luger, who won his number one contendership for the title two pay-per-views ago. And has yet to... Not even on the card. This is the third pay-per-view without Hogan, by the way. Just throwing that one out there. Yeah, and he wouldn't get it until... Uh, Hog Wild, which isn't the next pay-per-view. Bash at the Beach, our number one contender, still won't get his shot at Bash at the Beach. Then he finally gets it at Road Wild. So he went Slambery, Great American Bash, Bash at the Beach. He went three pay-per-views before he was able to get his shot. Just winning a number one contendership doesn't mean shit in WCW. So <laughs> these guys... It's all about who you know. They were fighting way too hard for this shot that may or may not actually happen. It's all about who you know, kid. They're taking on the Steiner brothers in a number one contenders match. Scott here slowly transitioning to Big Papa Pump. Holy fuck. It had started. He had started growing out the goatee, tying the hair back, and bringing the guns out. Yeah, man. He hadn't totally pumped up yet, but he was he well was, on his way. Yeah, he was. Scott starts with Stevie Ray, so this should be fun. Oh, okay. Just so you know right now, this shit's about to get real. Scott takes Stevie immediately to the ground as and Stevie Ray has no defense. And starts forearming the shit out of the back of Stevie's yeah, head. the back of his head. I mean, and he's laying them things in. Stevie's not for this now. No. Scott forearms Stevie again, who responds with a stiff back elbow to Scott's face, at least. Stevie lands a big boot. Scott hits a twisting side suplex to Stevie, and then Stevie bails out and says, fuck. Because he kept, he stiffed him this whole sequence. Stevie wants Rick instead. He wants some. He wants a relief here. He wants a break. Give me the dog face gremlin. So he gets. He's probably him. got a damn concussion already. So Rick comes in, power slams Stevie, and then Scott forearms him again. Scott and these forearms. He just wanted to get these forearms over. Booker comes in to take on Scott. Booker wants a test of strength with Scott Steiner, who just uses this opportunity to pose. Uh, They start the test of strength, and then Booker immediately kicks it, avoids a suplex, and then puts Scott in a full Nelson. Scott breaks it with his own giant arms and then lands a back elbow. Scott says, fuck this, and he tags in Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner comes in, hits a vertical suplex, and tags right back out. And Scott comes in, who press slams Booker T. Scott tries an aerial move of some sort. I don't know what this would have done, but he gets a boot to the face and then a Harlem sidekick. Stevie hits a high knee to Rick Steiner after he tags in, and then Booker snaps Rick's neck over the ropes. Harlem Heat hits the Big Apple, which is 
is the heart attack only with a Harlem sidekick instead of a clothesline. Booker is now one-on-one with Rick. Rick catches a sidekick attempt midair and then just drops Booker. Scott gets the hot tag, cleans house, scoop slams, belly-to-belly to Booker, but Stevie breaks it up. Scott hits the top rope Frankensteiner to Booker. In the back of the screen, we see a little man running to the ring. Who is that little man in the NWO shirt? Is it a fan? No, it's Vincent. Vincent runs right in the ring, right in plain view of the ref, and drops an elbow on Booker T. Vincent, who was supposed to do this behind the referee's back, doesn't know where the hell the referee is so he can get behind the referee's back. Yes, he has to reposition himself. He needed to be in front of the ref. Storyline-wise, he wanted the ref to see him. But at first, he was out of position and was going to drop this elbow without... Nick Patrick or whoever it was seeing him so then he has to slide around and so the ref can see him do yes. this so it became a clusterfuck of a finish well it wasn't really that bad it was just funny that he purposely had to get the ref's attention to get this DQ yeah it's also odd to me that the NWO for some reason think Harlem Heat is any easier than the Steiner brothers but it is funny just the overall storyline with the Steiner brothers is they never get the tags shot. They never get the belts. Like No, yeah. They well, that was the thing is when they finally won them with uh DiBiase, immediately break them up. Well, they got stripped of them. That's what's funny. No, they didn't get stripped that time. They got stripped after sold out. Okay, yeah. Sold out. No, after they won them with DiBiase, that's when Scott started to hog in the spotlight in the ring and then joined. Yeah. So they broke it up. So they went a year trying to get these damn things. They get them, (laughs) break up. Big Papa Pump has arrived. Or they called him something else at first. Freakzilla. Um, They called him White Lightning at first. So Really? Yeah. And they were trying to experiment with what's his nickname going to be. White Lightning. Big Papa Pump is a lot better than White Lightning. Uh, yes, yes. Freakzilla. Definitely. I always loved that one. That one cracked me up. Scott grabs Vincent, though. The Steiners aren't going to get out of here. We're getting their shit in. Vincent takes a stereo clothesline and the Steiner Bulldog. And what did you think of this tag match here? This was stiff as shit. Yes. I well, don't know. At least Scott didn't do the Steiner screwdriver to one of these guys. I don't know if, like, Stevie Ray owed him money or something. <laughs> like, what the disagreement was. I don't know if they had some issues or words in the locker room beforehand, but when it was agreed upon that Scott was starting this match, Stevie immediately was like, I'm starting this match too. And they stiffed the hell out of each other for the first two minutes of this match. Well, I'd say Scott got the better of him, though. He did, man. And Stevie took it and took it and took it until he threw that, that elbow. And when he threw that elbow, Scott, it it riled Scott. But, I mean, God, Scott just kept coming and coming and coming. Till finally, yeah. I mean, Stevie had to tag out for his own damn safety. <laughs> I'm not a big believer in roid rage, but that could very much be what factored in here with Scott, you know. Because he, I mean, he, that's very true. 
He had a look in his eyes, too. Like He I, was pissed, and he was just laying that shit in for no fucking reason. Yeah, this is a number one contenders match with WCW guys, too. Yeah. It's not even like the NWO that's wronged you this whole time. Like, yeah. They went easier on Vincent. Yes. Vincent got the easier end of the deal with the with the Steiner Bulldog. I mean, this was... God, he's kept, he just kept stiffing him over and over and to the back of the head. And I believe old school guys will tell you, I believe in the three strikes and you're out rule. You stiff me once, okay, lighten up. Stiff me again, you better lighten up. Stiff me a third time, I'm knocking your ass out. I believe that's what happened here with the big boot from Stevie at that one point in time. But God, dude. At that point in time, Scott was right back up and still coming. It was, it was like he was a man possessed, dude. It was yeah, it was like a zombie or an Iron Man or something. He would take shit and just get right back up and keep coming. And, and Rick really didn't do shit in this match. <laughs> he didn't do nothing. But yeah, no this this was a legit shoot, stiff. I mean, he's laying that shit in, y'all. It's if you ever want to see some funny ass shit. This is the match to watch it because they just he keeps coming and it was weird. It's like you said, he had a look in his eye that I don't know if he owed him money. I don't know if he was like, hey, I was supposed to buy dinner last night. Something. I don't know. Just the shit got real. Well, Scott was there to show off his new physique and he wanted to uh, to do it in the biggest way possible. <laughs> to the back of the head, like on his Dude, neck, man. man. Like that's scary. That was when you can't even see it. And his his head was bouncing. Like I mean, it was literally bouncing. God Almighty, it so, was terrible, intense uh, to say the least. The match was fine. I, Booker didn't get enough offense for me. I mean, he's the workhorse of Harlem Heat, and he didn't get tagged in. And Rick didn't get a lot of work either. And I, I like both of those guys a lot. And they didn't see a lot of time in the match. So see, Rick was always my my favorite Steiner in the early '90s before S- Scott and Age started catching up to Rick, and then Scott emerged as you know he was the one that was getting the hot tag and doing the Frankensteiner and the and the big moves. I think. When Rick was like Varsity Club Rick, Rick was awesome. Like he was still a cool character, but yeah, Scott just the intensity and recklessness of Scott Steiner and his <laughs> promos, and he's just he don't mess something with to behold. The really. fans didn't you don't screw with him if you're yeah. a fan. Don't like, complain at his shonies. He'll come out and just beat the shit out of you. <laughs> The only um, Shawnees in America that serves alcohol. So the match we've all been waiting for, the Dungeon of Doom explode here as Conan is out to take on Hugh Morris. Oh. Hugh Morris walks out and says, he literally says the following, Shucky Ducky. And then he laughs because he's humorous. Hugh Morris. Morris takes Conan down with a running drop kick, and then they just brawl. Conan throws Morris into the steps, which was the theme of the night. Everyone was getting thrown into the steps from here on out. Conan goes to a chin lock. Conan hits a few seated drop kicks. Conan locks on an ugly modified STF where he doesn't even grab his chin. Morris just gets the ropes. Morris throws him into the stairs. Morris hits a spinning heel kick for a near fall. Morris puts on the arm bar, then hits a gut wrench suplex. Conan tries a stump puller, realizes, oh, this guy's too fat. 
So then he just goes to a head scissors and starts pulling on Hugh Morris's hair, which would have sucked for Hugh Morris. And the ref just allows it until he eventually stops it. Conan goes to a cross arm breaker and he stomps at Hugh Morris's head. Morris hits a power slam, calls for no laughing matter. Conan, though, he looks up. He fucks up here. He looks early. Hugh Morris sees him looking, so Conan just has to get up immediately and run to the ropes and posts Morris, crotches him before he can try the no laughing matter as Conan just fucked this up. The turnbuckle knocks Morris out and he slaps on the tequila sunrise and the ref raises his hand three times to check that he's awake. He's not. Conan wins with the tequila sunrise in a match that happened. This is a this is a nitro match at best. And yes. it was This is a Thunder match at best. Number one contender Lex Luger and Giant not on this card either, in addition to Hogan, so I don't want to let Hogan off the hook as being the only one skipping out. That's true. Yeah, this sucked. This was bullshit. This was Conan's awkward teen years here in WCW where he wasn't with the Wolfpack yet, so it wasn't really over. He was in the Dungeon of Doom, but that was when the Dungeon of Doom was falling apart. Now he was just... um, White shirt, white pants, gangster Conan that doesn't talk. So, yeah, he had some work to do. Hugh Morris, uh, not not much better here. Amazing that in a few months they'd be giving Hugh Morris to Goldberg, so wouldn't you want to have Hugh Morris look really great here? Guess not. (laughs) So, yeah, this match sucked. I would skip this. Absolutely. Mean Gene says a man may be showing up in Chicago tomorrow night on Nitro. He's having problems with his current organization, but there's only one way to find out. 1-900-909-9900. Then the worst segment of the night happens, because after Mean Gene does this hotline promo, Public Enemy come out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. How is this the worst segment of the night? It's awful. It does nothing. It doesn't get them over. And in fact, it makes them look stupid. I love Public Enemy. They're nah, fun. They're nah, a lot nah, of fun nah. for people in the arena to nah, wave their hands nah, in the air nah, like they don't care. Nah, 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 nah. They bring out a table. They say they're not on the card, so they're losers. Lottie Dottie, they want a party. Public Enemy says Harlem Heat are the number one contenders. Not. Ugh, so 1997. And then they go into the crowd to party. The only thing I kept thinking during this promo was that when the three of them were sitting on that table, that table is going to break. Oh, I thought that bitch was crumbling. I really did. Right under Gene's ass. Mike Tanay is back for this match between Wrath, Mortis, and Glacier, I guess. I don't know why Mike Tanay was brought in. I guess he's a Mortal Kombat expert as well. (laughs) WCW makes Mortis get handcuffed to the ring post. That's right. Why not just ban him to the back? Because that... they tried that. He ki- he still keeps getting involved. Now he's out there where we can all watch him. Glacier's on his undefeated streak. This is all about Glacier's helmet. It was stolen by James Vandenberg, Wrath, and Mortis, and it's he a... wants his damn hel- helmet back. It's a 200-year-old-plus helmet. Passed down from generations. Generations. Mortis has the helmet to taunt Glacier during this match. Glacier uses a lot of open palm strikes, eventually kicks Wrath out of the ring. Glacier hits a plancha and lands some ground and pound. He super kicks Wrath against the guardrail. Wrath gets whipped into the steps. 
Mortis shoves Wrath out of the way to save him from a glacier splash in the corner. Wrath drops Glacier on the ropes, throat first from a powerbomb position. Ouch, that looked painful. Wrath then works a chin lock for ages. He hits a running somersaulting splash to Glacier. Then Wrath hits a clothesline off the top rope. Glacier, Ray Lloyd, uses a blatant choke. He's got to work dirty here, but Wrath knees him to escape. Wrath misses a Vader bomb style elbow drop from the second rope, and then Glacier leg sweeps him. Wrath hits a side suplex, goes to the top rope. Glacier bumps into Nick Patrick, which causes Wrath to get crotch, so Glacier working dirty again here. Glacier then superplexes him. Glacier then nails Mortis to take him down. Brian Clark side suplexes Glacier. Mortis throws a chain in the ring, but his aim is way off. What an idiot. Come on, Canyon. Can you not see where Wrath is? He chucks this chain across the ring, way over Wrath's head, and conveniently it lands with Glacier. Now what would our hero Glacier do? Of course he would use it as a weapon. Glacier decks Wrath with the chain, then hits a cryonic kick and gets the win. James Vandenberg had distracted the ref, Nick Patrick. He was digging in his pockets for the handcuff key, but it all backfired because when he was done... He just turned around and counted the three. I want to say that this match was good. I really want to say this match was good, but it wasn't. No, this match stunk, and I really wanted... They mentioned it on commentary. I really wanted a Ernest Miller save here instead of Glacier working like a heel. Yeah. I just thought it was very strange that they had Glacier working as a heel to get out of this instead of just evening the odds. But whatever. And I also wish that Brian Clark here, uh, Wrath, I wish he wrestled in his helmet. Because his helmet was cool that he walked out It was badass, yeah. But when he takes that off, he's just a normal guy. Kind of like Kane in the welding mask. The bad guys aren't going to let Glacier get away with this when they beat his ass. Then the refs, yes, the referees, not Ernest Miller, saves Glacier. What a great baby face. An undefeated baby face is saved by referees. Time for a career-threatening match. Medusa. She's going to fight Akira Hokuto. A rematch from the last show we reviewed. And if she loses, she will retire. Lee Marshall is brought in from his days back in GLOW, or those women's promotions that he worked for. So he's the women's match expert, like Mike Tanay is the cruiserweight expert. And I was thinking at this point... Man, Dusty's had an easy night. He hasn't had to do shit because he doesn't know anything about any of these people. I do want to comment that Medusa's thong over the shorts is a very weird look. It's like wearing your underwear over your pants. It is. It's a very unique, very weird look. But this is the Great American Bash, and she is made in the USA. She has to win. It's a career match. Yeah. It's it's obvious she threw a title in the garbage for this thing of course she's gonna win hokuto whips her by the hair twice and the second one sends medusa's head right into the bottom rope ouch hokuto then chokes her in the top turnbuckle choke throws her then a blatant choke with her foot as medusa is just getting her ass kicked it's not even close akira hokuto is beating the shit out of medusa pile driver to medusa slaps to her face then medusa finally wakes up 
Hits a second rope missile drop kick for a near fall. Medusa lands some jabs and a right cross as she turns into a boxer. Hokuto gets control again, hits a scoop slam suplex combination. Then Hokuto hits a gut wrench suplex and bites Medusa's foot. Medusa then lands some big kicks. Hokuto stops it with a small package. Medusa drops an axe handle but blows her left knee out. Uh Uh-oh. Big trouble here. Hokuto drops her on her bad knee. Hokuto wants a surfboard and eventually gets it. Medusa on one leg, of course, does the head scissors takedown that she uses and lands a nasty powerbomb on Akira Hokuto, which I thought was could have ended the match. But Hokuto then superplexes Medusa for a near fall, goes to a knee bar on Medusa's bad wheel. Hokuto then misses a top rope move and Sunny Ono breaks up Medusa's German suplex, her finishing move, by tugging on her bad leg. Hokuto just continues to batter Medusa's leg. Hokuto tries a top turnbuckle splash, but Medusa uses her knees to block it, of course, so she injures herself further. Medusa tries an atomic drop, but collapses because her legs just give out. Hokuto then hits a version of a Death Valley driver, and Medusa is covered with one leg. The Jericho pin here from Akira Hokuto, and she is retired forever. This was just a showcase for Akira Hokuto. She just beat the shit out of her from bell to bell. Beat the hell out of her. It wasn't even close. In MMA, this was a 10-8 round. It was not even fucking close. I love this match, though. I thought this was an awesome match. Yes. I thought the storyline was really good. I wish I had a promo video to, like, emphasize that this is a career-threatening match, maybe a pre-match interview with her. Like, but just in ring, like, wow, Akira Hokuto was awesome here and just looked like a world beater. Like, it looked like she could have beat Conan earlier. Yeah. In the night. Like, just phenomenal. Great storyline with the knee, uh, working the knee. It made sense. The things Medusa did with her knee didn't make sense, and I would complain about that because that's just shit Randy Orton does all the time that annoys me. But I really enjoyed this match. What are your thoughts on this women's title match? I thought it was extremely done well. I don't think Medusa brought her A game, though. I think Kira Hokuto pretty much carried this entire match. She definitely did. Uh, Medusa probably knew they were going to work an injury stip and just said, eh, I just phone it in. Even though it's a career-threatening match. Spoiler, I think she was on Nitro the next night. <laughs> the trainer doesn't know about her leg as Mean Gene. What an ass. Mean Gene turns heel here and wants to go talk to the loser. Hey, how's it feel to lose your career like that, huh? And asks the trainer, hey, what about her leg? Who cares about her leg? She's done. Her leg can be, they could saw it off. She's not coming back. And then he goes in for it and he says, Medusa, how do you feel about losing this match? And the crowd says, leave her alone. Leave her alone as Gene gets heat here, man. Jeez. And then USA chances Medusa gets the hero's exit to the back with the trainers escorting her out. She was uh, almost in tears at the end of the match. Uh, Fake tears, but uh, good acting from Medusa here. And uh, like I said, a really good um, match and angle, and Akira Hokuto was awesome. So I really love this. Bobby Heenan says, happy trails. You won't see her kiss her around here anymore. <laughs> Chris Benoit is in a death match oh. against Ming. If Benoit can beat Ming, he can get to Kevin Sullivan. It's like a, a, a mini tournament only featuring Chris Benoit versus people Kevin Sullivan puts in front of him to get to Kevin Sullivan. This, so, this is 
a last man standing match, basically. They call this last man standing match a death match, which the the referees count. I believe it was Nick Patrick here. His ten counts are much faster than his three counts because he was not giving a typical ref ten count. He was like legit one, two, mm-hmm. like. Benoit had to really pay attention not to get counted down because he was the one that had to get up the most often. Right. Benoit hits a suicide dive on Ming through the ropes before the match even starts, which scares Jimmy Hart. He takes off running to the back. Benoit hits a diving headbutt. He's he's going right to the finish. Goes to the crossface, but Ming lifts Benoit up, carries him to the post, and then Ming just tosses him off the post. Benoit goes back to the crossface. They have rope breaks in this death match, and it saves Ming. Dusty says, take it outside where there are no ropes. And I was like, he has a point there. Ming hits a super kick to the back of Benoit's head. Benoit tries to suplex Ming out of the ring, but Benoit fucks up and just drops him on the top rope instead. Benoit gets caught in the tree of woe, and Ming stomps at him. Nick Patrick starts his count, but Benoit beats him to his feet before 10. They exchange nasty chops. Ming hits an Alabama slam, but Benoit beats the count again. Benoit chops Ming, but he no-sells him. Scoop slams him, and then Ming hits a Tongan splash and goes for a cover, which doesn't count and gives Benoit more time to recover. Ming super kicks Benoit and he rolls outside. Ming gets flung into the guardrail. Benoit German suplexes Ming. He follows it with another. Ming beats the count this time and he rolls out to recover. He comes back into the ring. Tongan death grip, but Benoit gets flung out of the ring. They chop battle on the outside. Ming goes back to a chin lock. Ming hits a belly to back suplex, misses a second rope head butt, then a cross face, but Ming gets to the ropes. Crossface again, Ming gets to the ropes. Third time's the charm. After Benoit docks a Tongan death grip, Ming is near the ropes, and this is the world's longest crippler crossface, as Ming was not going to go down easy here. And Ming, now this was a subject of much controversy between the commentators, but he either passed out or tapped out. He passed out. I believe he tapped out. I believe he passed. He tapped very slowly, but he tapped. And there you go. The crowd got on their feet for this finish, so locking in the submission for a long time did actually caused some drama he was so close to the ropes and ming despite being a jobber he was a jobber to the stars and was usually put over a strong tough guy uh, a gatekeeper basically yeah. like if you are going to get any to any title to any fight it's always like you got to go through ming and yeah. ming's always going to no sell beat the shit out of you you'll beat him probably uh but he's always made to look real tough and a legit tough guy and benoit got the crowd behind him here and uh they love the finish so job well done i enjoyed this match uh even though i thought nick patrick's counts were too fast i hated the rope break step i mean if it's a last man standing match there's no rope break yeah it doesn't matter yeah outside of that no complaints thought this was a a really great match Okay. I truly agree. Because, I mean, with everything you said, the counts were too fast. Having a rope break in the last man standing match is ridiculously stupid. It was a very believable, intense match because these two men legitimately can kick most people's ass. Or they were. Anyway. One the, is still. <laughs> the ref, One's a car salesman. Yeah. The refs and trainers are in again. For some reason, they put Benoit on a stretcher here, which I thought was so weird because he was on his knee. Like, he got back up after the crossface, and then they were like, oh, no, 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 get on the stretcher. So they stretcher out Benoit, who I thought should have done the 
typical thing and been like gotten up from the stretcher, the Mick Foley spot, yeah. gotten up and just yeah. walked away. Yeah. Then here's where the commentators argue about whether he passed out or submitted. Ming starts to wake up, but they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't get up either. And they put Ming on a stretcher. And unfortunately, they don't strap him down. This causes Ming to fall off the gurney as they go up the ramp, which they were tossing to Mean Gene, and Mean Gene is like, oh, can we get a look at this, please? They've they've dropped Ming. <laughs> the poor Ming was riding this stretcher thinking, oh, they're just I'm getting a nice ride to the back here. Yeah. Gets dropped on his ass <laughs> from these fake EMTs and trainers. So he fell off the gurney, which I wish the camera had caught the fall. That would have been awesome. Good job, guys. Mean Gene says, happy Father's Day. Call the hotline. Someone is showing up on Nitro in Chicago. Yes, that's true. Then we get a Bash at the Beach promo with Hogan and Rodman. I love the last two matches. I don't think this next one is going to hold up because Mongo McMichael is out with Deborah. He's taking on Kevin Green. Two basically non-wrestlers here. Mongo also in his hometown, and he is the heel. Just try to get that one, wrap that one around your head, that the guy from the Panthers is taking on the Chicago Bear near Chicago, and the Bear is the bad guy. Kevin Green dropkicks Mongo and delivers forearms, hits a three-point stance, and he just forearms Mongo some more. Mongo starts stomping at Kevin Green's knee, which has a brace on it. Mongo tries to smash Kevin Green on the guardrail, and Kevin Green's mom smashes Mongo with a handbag. Ding, 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 DQ. Mom, you just got him DQ'd. That's what I would have said. Kevin goes back to check on his mom because he's a nice son. Mongo chants here near Chicago, as the crowd saw Mongo as the baby face. Kevin Green does the Thez press and punches to Mongo, and Steve Austin would have shook his head in shame here. Mongo responds with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Green does the corner punches and then hits an atomic drop and a drop kick. Kevin Green's mom looks concerned at this point. Kevin Green drop kicks Mongo using the ropes as leverage. He hits a diving shoulder tackle from the top rope. Then Green clotheslines Mongo out of the ring. Deborah fakes an ankle injury, but Green doesn't buy it. He's not going to get fooled again by this lady. Green misses a corner splash. Deborah gets on the apron. Mongo is choking Green. Then Jeff Jarrett runs down with the Halliburton. Here we go. Accidentally decks Mongo. And then Kevin Green covers Mongo for the win. The reverse finish of what happened to Kevin Green back when they recruited Mongo to the Horsemen. So there you go. Poetic justice. It all comes full circle. And then what I really didn't understand is Deborah went and gave Jarrett shit. Like, why didn't you go help Steve Mongo? McMichael. And I was like, what was he going to do? If he ran in there, he would have got him DQ'd. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing he could have done. And then Tony gives him shit, too. So they're causing dissension here for no reason. Exactly. But uh, this match stunk. Uh, there was no chance it could have been good. Kevin Green, the NFL has always been popular, but it's it was definitely not as popular then as it is today. And if you took a random linebacker from any team, and Kevin Green is a great linebacker but he is not a celebrity he's not Dennis Rodman and to just have random footballers and sports stars come in every once in a while including Reggie White and I Reggie fellow Chattanooga and Re, Reggie White to have him come in just green, to do green something Green Bay Packer and he is he was actually I mean he's a hall of famer I think yeah. Kevin Green is too at this point I just don't see the value in that really um 
if you hype it up like LT, like LT is a good use of a sports star. LT was a star though outside of football where he was a socialite like and the drugs and just, you know, in the tabloids and all this like Reggie White and Kevin Green weren't making headlines, you know, scandalous headlines like a Dennis Rodman. They're not going to get you on MTV. They're yeah. not going to get you any extra press, really. So I just don't see the value in bringing in Kevin Green. Yeah, I don't either. What would you think of the match? Terrible. Medusa is still in the pack. Guess what? She still has a bad leg. And then Bobby says, who cares? She's retired. Double main event time. Tag titles on the line. The Outsiders taking on Flair and Piper. The champions are out first with six, then Flair comes out, but he waits on Piper so he doesn't get triple teamed when he steps into the ring. Roddy gets a huge pop. Roddy chance for Piper here in Chicago. They love Roddy Piper in Chicago. The toothpick gets thrown in Flair's face from his former protege, Razor, Ramon, or Scott Hall. Flair then tees off on Hall and then dances and woos. Flair flip and he walks right into Nash's boot. Six grabs Flair's boot and Hall gets a clothesline for a near fall. Nash tags in, does his corner elbows to Flair. A sidewalk slam to Flair, so he's almost out of moves. Snake eyes to Flair, uh-oh, running out of moves. Flair low blows Nash to slow him down. Piper and Hall get the tag. Piper runs wild. The crowd loves it. Sleeper to Hall, and the crowd goes nuts thinking this is the legit finish. They think that this is the end of the match. But Hall crotches Piper on the ropes to escape. Then Six kicks Piper while Flair was complaining to the ref. Then Flair takes Six to the aisle way and just fucking leaves. Just, just forgets that there's a match going on. And so almost, you could almost say, did Ric Flair just join the NWO? Because he just left Piper out to dry. That's true. Was this all a conspiracy? Piper is a one-man wrecking crew. Ha, just kidding. He gets his ass kicked, and he gets an outsider's edge, and that's the end of the match. So the outsiders retain. Piper looked great. Hide the negatives and display the positives, and that's what they did with Piper here. Did the sleeper, did some brawling, looked great, got his ass beat in the end, but... For the moments that he was on fire in there, the crowd fucking loved it. Yep. And Flair had no work to do. He had an easy night. I don't know if his shoulder had fully healed. That might have been why they didn't give him... Because he had just come back from uh, shoulder surgery from James Andrews that they had been talking about. So maybe they didn't want to push it with Flair, but he didn't do shit in this match. But this match stunk as well. It didn't deliver the way in which I thought it would have with these four four men. When you see the reaction that Roddy Piper gets, you can justify putting them in the main event. I mean, yeah. these two guys were super over. Yeah. And for Piper's part, he does really well, but then the rest of it just doesn't really deliver. It's a shame because these are four of their top guys and couldn't do it. I wanted to say, where was Mongo? Where was another horseman to save Piper? Why didn't someone, or save Flair from Six? Why didn't Mongo clothesline Six on the... Well, Benoit on the stretcher. See, I'll give him that. Or Jarrett with the briefcase. Anyway, NWO much better organized than the horseman. So, Michael Buffer is here for the main event. It's a Falls Count Anywhere match with DDP and Macho Man Randy Savage. And referee Mickey J gets an intro from Michael Buffer because he's from Quad City. So, hometown ref here. This is your dream come true to have Michael Buffer intro you. Huge pyro and the lights go out. Macho Man is out first with Liz. Then, 
DDP's music hits. Kimberly enters from the ramp, and DDP, the dirty heel, jumps Macho Man from behind from the crowd and doesn't get his full Michael Buffer entrance, so he kind of screws himself out of that. But, uh, yeah, wrestling like a dirty heel here, DDP immediately tries for the diamond cutter, but Macho Man escapes. DDP hits a plancha on his hurt ribs, those ribs that wouldn't heal for like four years, I swear. Macho Man then hides behind Liz. They get back into the ring. DDP clothesline Savage hits a flying clothesline. Then Macho Man gets thrown out of the ring again, clotheslines DDP into the crowd, hits snake eyes to DDP on the guardrail. They walk and brawl through the crowd. Macho Man gets chucked into a concrete wall and then through a door, the reverse of what happened the last time we saw him fight. Someone's got to take that door spot, brother. (laughs) DDP finds a crutch and breaks it over Macho Man when Macho just comes back through the door. He was never expecting it and breaks it in half. It looked like a legit crutch, too, so that had to hurt. They brawl through the crowd again. They come back ringside. DDP goes into the steps, as everyone was tonight. Macho Man just gets some freedom powder from Liz. She just carries that around her. In Liz's case, it might not have been freedom powder. It might have been some other sort of powder. And they throw it in DDP's face. Then Macho Man smashes a platter over DDP's head, which just splatters everywhere. Macho Man then unwraps DDP's ribs and stomps at him. We want Sting chance because this is a week after Sting saved DDP and took him to the rafters. No Sting tonight either. He had the Hogan deal where, eh, I'm not bothering with pay-per-views. Macho Man pile drives Mickey J and poor Mickey J's shirt splits open. DDP chance now as DDP tries to fight back. Mark Curtis is the new ref, but Macho Man immediately takes him out. DDP gets clotheslined out of the ring next to Mickey J. Mach grabs Kimberly. Nick Patrick runs in to try to stop him and does. He talks Macho Man down. Then they brawl up the ramp. They go to a VIP picnic area that just happens to be there. And Macho Man goes flying through a wooden fence. DDP smashes him with a platter. Dusty says, get the barbecue pit. Get the barbecue pit. DDP slams him through a picnic table. DDP gets the barbecue pit and dumps it on Macho Man. Luckily, it was was, was not lit. It was just a regular unlit barbecue pit. DDP chokes Macho Man with his own shirt, drags him towards the ring. DDP crotches him on the post, hits his flapjack, but Macho counters with the jawbreaker. Macho Man rips up the mats. He wants a pile driver on the concrete, but Nick Patrick warns him. This time, Macho's not hearing it. And he beats the shit out of Nick Patrick. Then Macho beats a photographer for no reason, as everyone except DDP is getting the worst of Macho Man's madness tonight. DDP, though, chair shots Macho Man, rolls him in the ring, but the ref is down. A snap suplex from Macho Man is reversed into the diamond cutter, but no referees. Then Scott Hall runs down. Nick Patrick crawls in, but Hall just stomps him. DDP Atomic drops Hall, but Macho gets the tag team title belt, belt shots DDP, then he calls for the Outsider's Edge. DDP takes the Outsider's Edge, gets dragged to the center, Savage kicks Nick Patrick to wake him up, hits the Savage elbow. Patrick then can make the count somehow, despite being unconscious a second earlier. One, two, three, and seriously, it was like, Oh, we're out of time. See you tomorrow night on Nitro. Bye. And that is how they got out of this pay-per-view. I didn't like this as much as the first match, Patrick, and maybe it's because I'm a mark and that I like the good guy to win and that I like to see someone get one up on the NWO. And tonight, the NWO won both of their matches. Yes. 
with the same move, basically, uh, with the same person, Scott Hall, who didn't even show up to the last pay-per-view we saw. And he's rewarded here tonight by being the hero for the NWO. And, uh, yeah, I didn't like this as much as the first match. It didn't have the same kind of fire. They had some cool spots in the picnic area. Yeah. The walk and brawl through the crowd, though, they didn't do shit. Like, the door spot was okay, but, like, I don't know, it just didn't feel as intense as the first match felt. Yeah. And um, so a bit of a letdown here. Uh, the Medusa match felt like it had more intensity from Akira Hokuto than uh, Macho Man had here tonight for DDP. It didn't. I mean, it was a good match. It just didn't have the. It didn't have what the first match had. So your thoughts on Great American Bash '97? Watch the second match, the fifth match, the sixth match, and your last two main events. Yeah, that's what I would say too. Yeah, I would uh, definitely. I would cut the cruiserweight match. I would cut Conan. I would cut Glacier, and I would cut Kevin Green. And then the rest of it is is fine. Yeah. And the 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 match of the night for me was Akira Hokuto and Medusa, which they only went eleven forty one, but that was a really good match. Yeah, I was just blown away by how good Akira Hokuto looked in that match. And and Medusa's selling of her her leg was also very impressive. The Falls Count Anywhere match, good. Not as good as the first match we saw between these guys. But now the real question, Patrick, on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where does GAB97, where does that fall? Akira Hokuto. Oh, very nice. I am going to give this one a wrath. Without the helmet. I do think it was quite good in places. It was an easy watch. I usually have to stop myself during some of these and just come back later. But this was one I sat all the way through. Yeah. Not a lot of filler. Not a lot of bullshit in it. Yeah. So, unlike those WWF shows, it was just as soon as one match was over, next one was starting. And for the most part, I was intrigued, at least by the matchups. Um didn't turn out so great when they got in the ring. Uh, like, Hugh Morris and Conan, I was like, hmm, I wonder what this will be. And uh, it, 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 it was shit. <laughs> it was shit. It was what I should have expected it to be. It was nitro fodder. It's my pick. We're in the month of May, so I'm going to pick a random pay-per-view from the month of May. As we've already reviewed the final match between DDP and Macho Man. That took place at Halloween Havoc 97, so we've already completed the trilogy. So if you want to listen to that review, go back. It's in our archives. Um, Just search uh, Halloween Havoc. I think we've done two Halloween Havoc shows. Thank you. We still have... A few left to go. Spin the wheel, make the deal is still out there, Patrick. But for my pick this week, uh, random pay-per-view from May, we're going to In Your House number one. The first one. May 14th, 1995. Don't you want to see a main event between Sid and Diesel? Oh, boy. Hold on to your hats, folks. Why are you punishing us? I just wanted to... Hey, this is how In Your House started. Let's see how it all began. Very short card. So that's another good thing about this there one. You go. We have Bret Hart and Hakushi. We have Razor Ramon and Jeff Jarrett. We have Mabel and Adam Bomb. So Wrath back to back weeks. Owen Hart and Yoko Zuna taking on the Smoking Guns. Then Bret Hart gets double duty, he has to wrestle Jerry Lawler, and then Diesel takes on Psycho Sid. The early concept of In Your House was, of course, house show ideas. So we at home didn't get to see the following matches. 
Undertaker taking on Kama. That was a dark match. Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Tatanka. That was a dark match. And the British Bulldog and Owen Hart wrestled in a dark match. So. So the good matches. Yes, those good sounding matches. And British Bulldog and Owen Hart was a King of the Ring qualifier. So, uh, don't get to see that. Uh, that's that's for the the paying crowd. Um, the the house crowd gets yes. those. But uh, that's where we'll go next week in your house. Numero uno from May fourteenth, nineteen ninety five, in Syracuse, New York. And that'll do it for this week. Go to powerslam.tv, Use the promo code Retro Wrestling. Get thirty days for free. And I also wanted to mention this isn't a, a sponsor or anybody that we're affiliated with, but uh, there's this app called Pluto TV, and on Pluto TV they actually have an Impact channel that just plays random old Impact shows. Really? From like 2007, six, just random clips and you can it's absolutely free and there's a lot of other random channels on this thing i just found out about it like last week and i checked it out and it's actually got some cool stuff on it so if you're a cord cutter like me or you just watch stuff on your phone or whatever check out pluto tv and get a whole impact channel there oh and by the way i I failed to mention it they renamed global wrestling network i guess they're scared of that jeff jarrett lawsuit so now it's impact Plus. Wow. Big news. Plus. Plus. That'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. <laughs>